It's Friday, June 30th, 2017, and welcome to episode 202 of Tech Talk for Teachers. I'm Tom Grissom. I'm Brian Poulter. Welcome to Tech Talk for Teachers, the show about teaching and learning with technology. And this time, we've got a little bit of a treat for you as we're going to be going to a local, what we're calling the Great Bike Race. The event was great. My participation it may not have been as great as I would like. <laughs> but uh, Brian's going to share. Uh, he, he has uh, a lot of technology that he uses as he, as he cycles, and he's going to share some of that data with us and how we could use that in the classroom for a variety of different subjects. And we're just going to bounce some ideas off. Uh, so be sure to check the uh, show notes for this time because we'll have a OneNote notebook. And I like OneNote because it's so flexible to add on the fly. If we come up with an idea for like a math lesson or a geography lesson, we just simply say new section and math. And, you know, here's how you can use a, you know, a GPX data set to go out there and do whatever math calculation that you want. We'll throw some ideas around uh, about that. And then, of course, I think we'll finish up here and we'll share our technology picks of the week this time. We will. And up first today, we're going to be starting a new exploratory unit. I have Brian Poulter here with me, and we've been talking a little bit about one of the local events that uh, recently occurred. We're going to call this the Great Bike Race. I don't know how great it was, but okay. <laughs> Brian, Brian is a cyclist, and uh, he's really into a lot of the technology, and uh, it's got a lot of nice things to share, some really neat things to share. You can integrate into your curriculum in a variety of ways. So let's just back up a little bit, and the vehicle that we're going to use to share this, besides the podcast, is a OneNote notebook, and right before we started this show this morning, we spent about 10 minutes and made the structure, what I call the bones of this notebook, the sections and pages, and uh, this is something that we can add to, easily adjust to over time. So if you have some ideas as we bounce ideas back and forth, that's the whole point of this, which is just kind of a brainstorming session about how can you take, you know, anything, a local event, and then incorporate it into classroom activities, bring a little bit of local flair, make, you know, something that your students might be a little more interested in than, you know, talking about the blue whales in the ocean, which probably doesn't have a lot to do here in central Illinois, but, you know, some, something a little more local. So just let Brian talk a little bit about setting up and some of the technology. And where this really interests me is he uses the uh, Garmin GPS system. So we'll start there. Well, and really what I want to emphasize is that this isn't about bicycling or Garmin or any particular technology. It's about, as you said, taking something local that's going to create a live, more lively impression when you, when you learn it and use the information or data, whatever you produce, and adapt that to your classroom so you can just make your classroom bigger than the walls that you teach in every day. So I'm a cyclist, not a world-class cyclist, but a cyclist. I enjoy it. I ride a couple hundred miles a week. And one of the devices I have on my bike is a Garmin Edge 820. It's a little GPS unit. It's, it's one of those little units that keeps track of your mileage and the distance, but it also maps where you are. It tells me the temperature. It keeps track of altitude gain. It keeps track of my heart rate of all things. It just collects all this data in it. And it occurred to me that in this 50 mile time bike event that I participate in, it created this set of data 
that could be used for a whole host of purposes or, or linked to a whole host of different places. Um, the obvious ones are geography, uh, geology, math. math, science, but I have a degree in art. It can be used in art. It can be in social studies. There's just every, We just kept talking about how this data set that we have access to could be used for a whole different purposes, and I guess that's sort of our, the point of this is if you can take some activity that you can gather some data from, there's just so many different things you can do with it. Right. And, and the, the data set that it creates, um, we actually have a GPX file. It uses the Google Maps service, and it's got the, the bike route, of course. But in this wealth of data, I mean, I think it even, I don't know what you call your revolution. Cadence. Your, your cadence, you know, how fast he's pedaling. And you can ask, you know, just, just some uh, easy math questions, calculate, you know, your average speed, mile per hour. All of that's done for you within, within this system and uh, have a link out to the website that will control that. But just ask some common sense questions or look at some things. And as we were going through the data, for example, looking at your heart rate, if your heart rate goes up, perhaps you're going up in elevation up a hill. And indeed, you can you know, look at the map and say, well, yes, here, here's a topographic map. So you can go into geography skills very easily, social studies, whatever, look at that, and then just have that data set for your students to either ask some questions or have your students produce some of those questions. And one of the other things we're sharing, a public link, is to my Garmin Connect page, which has all this data on it that you could use, uh, as you were outlining a bunch of different ways. I'm looking at it right now. I burned on this 50-mile bike race. Called, it's called the uh, the Hilly 50, so it, it wasn't just flat. You think of Illinois as being flat. This was not flat. Um, I burned 2,369 calories in about three hours and four minutes that I was riding. But what's really nice about it is it's very visual, and it breaks down elevation, heart rate, speed, cadence, and temperature, and you can actually take these graphs that it produces and overlay them. And one of the unique things is you can click to a particular point on the map of my route, and it will show you then in the data set what the elevation was at that point, what the speed is. So what you soon realize is there was a reason why my heart rate, heart rate hit a peak of I think it was 186 beats and if you look at the topographical mapping go oh that was a significant mm -hmm. climb over a short duration mm -hmm. and then you start asking yourself why is it so flat north of this town called Charleston Illinois and why is it so hilly to the south well that's because the glaciers literally stopped on, a, on our town so if you go north it's flat if you go south it's really nice and really and hilly and what did you what were you telling me it's like 50 million years older south of the Yeah, you, in the Pennsylvania air system with the yeah. limestones. And Illinois being a basin, you know, I mentioned uh, a little bit ago about what blue whales have to do with Illinois. Well, actually, Illinois was an ocean, you know, millions of years ago. So you can very easily tie that to oceanography. But as, as you said, it's a terminal moraine, and we have a, a, a state park called Fox Ridge State Park, which is literally when the glaciers came down from the north through Wisconsin, it stopped here. And when the glaciers melted, all that outwashed, so we have a lot of gravel pits and sand and things like that. So that's that's a whole lesson in geology and science and, as you say, topography. You know, as teachers, and I'm constantly looking for the, you know, the crossover in the curriculum. 
I think we're often guilty. Well, this is math. This is science. It's silos. All, silos, exactly. It's all interrelated, and it's so much more interesting whenever you make those cross relationships and interrelationships between the different subject areas. And uh, I, I just think it's a more effective way to teach. And, and again, another reason I'm a fan of OneNote because that serves as the structure and you as a teacher can use your expertise uh, in learning design to take it where you think your you know your students need to go and we're providing this data set kind of as uh, first of all if you want to use the data set and, and do work out of this there's again thousands of different things I think you could do with this data but to encourage you to take your own localized data whether or not using a you know a cell phone with an app or a free app like a uh, an app called Track My Ride, which I've used before, which you don't have to be riding, or Track uh, Runkeeper too. Um, there's a bunch of different apps that will allow you to create GPS data that you can then download and, and have your students use right. in some yeah. way that makes an impression to them. Right, all, all kinds of applications uh, for this. Also, uh, since we're in the month of June here, and you just mentioned before we started the show, the Tour de France. It starts in about a week, I think, a little less than a week. So we just had the Tour de Charleston. Mm-hmm. Or Tour de Chuck, as we call it. <laughs> so now then, you know, if, you know, unfortunately here in the United States, most of our students are out for uh, summer break and things. But if you were in the classroom, the, the Tour de France is a, an excellent and I'm sure there's websites out there. Oh, with and NBC you can follow. sort of has the rights in the U.S., and I've already looking at some of the videos of the illegal grade hills. In other words, their trucks aren't supposed to go up there, but, of course, they'll let you race for 100 miles straight up a mountain. Yeah. You had it easy here in Illinois. Can you imagine going over there? To... I don't know if I would have it easy, <laughs> but I had it, relatively speaking, very, very, very easy. <laughs> Mountains versus hills. So, but uh, again, and I'm sure there are internet websites out there if you're into this that you can follow your favorite cyclist. Or we just had the Indianapolis 500 here, just absolutely mind-boggling the technology in in those cars now, and the sensors involved, and the speeds that they're going, uh, and the you know the the race teams are using that for competitive advantage, and I'm sure you use it to improve your performance too. You know, as you go out. Oh, and, and anyone who's worked with these apps, you can set pace, uh, and it will tell you if you're behind your pace or in front of your pace. When you're actually riding in real time, you can make a fictional person ride against it. And then there's the whole things. I'm sure you've seen the ads for, like, Peloton and that, these bikes you can ride in your house where, via the Internet, you can race against people. And, that and is, they have, like, a TV screen, and exactly. you're, like, have the, the scenery and the landscape. Yeah. And, you know, again, I don't know if that's tied to Google Maps, but with virtual reality and augmented reality, I, I can just imagine what the future is going to be. It's going to be like you're right there. And then I suspect... I don't know if that system does it or not, but I suspect that it might elevate the bike like you're going up a hill or maybe mm-hmm. pro- yeah, provide some, provi- yes, provide some yes. resistance. More increase the resistance. Or, and you can even buy these adapters that you put your bike in a stand and it will create a similar experience to that. Um, one thing that you preached to me that's been very, very helpful as I've learned to adapt some of these technologies that I'm not as comfortable and familiar with is sometimes you got to walk before you run. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of these situations, we're trying to show you all the different things you can do, but you can start out very simply with this. Just map something, take that data set, and, and try to apply it. And then, mm-hmm. then you get, what I say, cocky. You're like, oh, okay, I've done that. Now I want to try this, yeah. and I want to try this, too. And this isn't just STEM stuff and science and technology and all that. 
I have a degree in art. You know, there's this whole, these whole group of people who are using their GPS tracking mechanism to go out and use the roads in their communities to draw pictures. And, and some of them are very, very elaborate. And you were talking about, I actually did something this very similar to this when I was in high school before we had access to GPS. You know, simple compasses and string and that, and that you have to walk 10 paces and do this and do this and do this and on the football mm-hmm. field. I was a very I went to a very tolerant high school. I guess they would give us the um, the chalking thing that they would draw lines with for football when football was in season. We go out there when we were supposed to draw things on the field mm-hmm. and then go up in the press box and look and see if they looked anything like mm-hmm. what we were supposed to map. I still remember the navigation and compass and how you read a map and those things that I learned back in the eighties and previous century. To this day, because those lessons were very lively. I remember things I was taught in high school. Well, and and it was also involving kinesthetic learning, where you were actually out there taking some abstract, con, you know, concepts and things. And I did the same thing when I was teaching my uh, high school students. We would go out there and walk and physically experience something. Uh, back in the day, when we first started doing some computer science teaching, we had a program called Logo or Turtle Logo, where the idea was you had this little turtle and you had to. Program program it you know go up three steps and take a right and go five steps again draw a picture but then whenever I first introduced that term I would literally get the class up and say okay we're going to walk you know let's go to the gym we're going to go out here and I'm going to provide a set of instructions and let's see you know how close you can get to a you know predetermined point so bringing again making that real making those experiences especially the abstract uh, there's just something goes that goes on in your mind as you're learning things. And you know, the great thing about it here after all these years, as you just said, that learn I mean, you still remember that, so you retained it, which is kind of the whole point. I saw, uh, I stumbled on this, I think it was done by a high school, and now it's one of these situations where you find the link and then you can't find it again. But I believe it was in Boston or someplace where this high school did their own walking tour. So they had the GPS coordinates, you know, you follow this little route, and then when you get there, it was a web page, and then you click on it, and it would give you an auto recording. Maybe it may, actually, Boston, Bob, I actually think it was Austin, Texas, now that I think about it, it rhymes. Um, but you were able to walk around, and then when you got to that point, you could hear recording, and it was like those things that you do in a museum, only this was covering eight mm-hmm. miles or five miles or something, you could walk. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a great way to combine technology and history and mm-hmm. uh, map reading, geography, oh, yeah. and I, even the geology of the area that you're walking within. Yeah, I, I just thousands of ideas just pop into my head here at EIU on our campus. Um, our botany department mm-hmm. o- o- over the decades have planted a lot of different trees, and you know you can make a little tour. And then using an app like I, I haven't ex- you know experimented with this, but something like Runkeeper I think would you know do something like that. And then your photo walks, tying it back to journalism, uh, just all kinds of different applications. I believe that every tree indigenous to our state is somewhere on our campus. And I'll tell that to people who've been here for 20 years teaching. They're like, what? I mean, it's an opportunity to introduce people to concepts and things that surround them. And it also gives you an opportunity to relate what your school does to the community. When you can get your community feel like your school does more than just keep children busy for 10 hours a day, um, you get more buy-in. So uh, this uh, OneNote notebook, I'll provide a link in the show notes for this. This is something I, that I think will evolve uh, over time. And as I said, if you, if you have your uh, ideas and things for the curriculum, or perhaps you've already done a similar unit or something like this, we'd love to share that with the audience. 
uh, you know, send an email to techtalk at eiu.edu, and uh, we can you know share it on a future show. Or again, the beauty of a OneNote notebook is that it is a living, breathing digital notebook. So as we add to this, which is another important learning concept, you, you just don't want to throw a curriculum at students all at once. You kind of want to chunk it, and you know that's kind of just good learning design. You know, we just don't hand a student a book and say, you know, here, learn this, or go to the library, here, learn this. I think those are called MOOCs. <laughs> yes, yes. Massive open online, what is the C for? Courses. Courses, yeah, I guess. MOOCs, yeah. Massive open online courses. Uh, trend that's kind of come and gone here in the technology age. They're they're still hanging around, but at one point, it's one of those bandwagons, you know. If you're smart enough to teach yourself, you're smart enough to teach yourself. Yeah, well, and that's the point. Is like we're here to teach, you know, learning how to learn and all of these experiences and, and, and opportunities. And that's what makes this so fun. And you've mentioned on previous shows, it's, it's what keeps you fresh and excited. Well, I want to go back to just one second, too. It's, we're also here to inspire people or introduce people to things they don't think they want to know or they don't realize they want to know. I didn't realize how much I love physics until I got a physics teacher who just, we were firing rockets off to, to do mathematical calculations. So we did the things I talked about. Um, to this day, even though I'm not a physicist, I love physics and I love figuring out. And it also taught me how to apply math in, in, in my real life rather than talk about it in an abstract way on a piece of paper. So uh, I want to emphasize that. And the other thing I want to emphasize is please do send in those ideas if you're doing geocaching or some other interesting thing with technology we think about what we think about because that's where our mind is but we know that you are thinking about other things that we're not thinking about right and it's not that you know that we're thinking about technology so much as this technology is an, an enabler to allow us to do these things and to share these things and that that's the great thing it's like classroom walls mean nothing anymore because of all the technologies we can communicate 24 7 365 and you know you're just one click away from a wealth of internet resources and you know again establishing some relationships so um, you know whatever unit you were doing uh, like say if, if you're if your class or maybe you have a, a, a school club of some type of interest uh, that you can meet up with other schools whether in your own state or across the nation or the world for that matter that you can share very easy to do a skype or a google hangout and mm -hmm. you know again that that collaboration and broadening of one's horizons and getting new ideas and just maintaining that curiosity that is what i think we want to instill in our students that the learning's never over or as i say keep on learning you know all of the time because mm -hmm. there's always something new to learn we will wrap it up there i'll provide the link in the show notes literally as i said before we started this uh this the tech talk for teachers show this morning i spent about 10 minutes with brian and we were brainstorming and said well let's what what different sections would we have so currently we have i always start my one note notebooks with the start here section which is just kind of a welcome and introduction what this thing's about then we have oh we've got a couple of photos used with permission so for the tour to charleston um, we've got some race day pictures out there and this is used with permission so we've got the uh you want to mention the studio yeah chet pietrowski one of my former photojournalism students took a couple of pictures of me so it's always good to have some visual imagery when you're working with data it just becomes abstract and we're going to have a link to this complete uh g uh, i'm sorry garmin connect page that has all these data sets that you can use any way you want we have uh, the actual file of the gps route 
and my you know it's the actual route I rode with the time signatures and all that built into it. Instructions, I guess, how to load it into Google Maps, mm-hmm. and which I've not done, so I'll have to find those, and make really, those up as we go. Oh, I'm sorry, it's really easy. Uh, I can do it, so I know that Tom can do it. So, <laughs> but that that section is called race data, is what we have out there. And just go back to the uh, photos used with permission. That's another thing that we, uh, you know, instill as we go through these projects is we want to make sure that we're good digital citizens, citizens and, you know, respect intellectual property and so copyright. So journalism instructor, if you want me to go crazy, <laughs> just start taking other people's work off the Internet without attribution or permission. You cannot just simply take a photo, as my students think, and Where'd say, you get it? permission Did- of. No, you didn't talk to the person. You actually have to get permission. But there's all, and also teach them how to. There are plenty of places in Flickr and um, a bunch of places where people have said, "Here's my work. You can use it." So in this I'm case, I, I talked to the photographer, one of my students, and say, "And I've already bought copies of it for my own personal use." But I said, "Chet, can I use these for educational purposes?" He said, "Sure. Why? Of course you can." Yeah, used with attribution. So mm-hmm. we've we've attributed these pictures there. There's also Creative Commons licensing, and that's you know a whole nother story. Uh, as you go out and produce some of these uh, some of these resources that are available out there on the internet, and I but, have to say about twenty people a year contact me and for nonprofits and schools and say, "Can I use this permission?" I have yet to say no. I have sent uh, an email to someone say, "You're using this without my permission." Stop. But once you ask me, mm-hmm. I'm ninety nine percent of the time going to say yes unless you're making money off it, which is send twenty five bucks to this charity instead or something. Right. But yeah. When once you mention you're in an educational uh, uh, endeavor people are like yeah go ahead 99 percent of the time yeah so uh, again make sure you check that out and we will uh, you know be adding to this as we go along just want to maybe just throw out some ideas and, and give you uh, give you some ideas just uh, just a place to start and this could be adapted for you know any any subject area or again maybe you have a local event or something coming up or you want to kick the school year off it's just a, a good way to share and develop a curriculum technology pick of the week this week is a continuation from our last month's episode where Cindy and I were uh, discussing uh, some of the different things and I had an unfortunate accident where I accidentally suspicious here (laughs) excuse to buy new toys accidentally dropped my Chromebook and it didn't take the drop very well so I was in the market for a device to replace it and uh I won't say it was an opportune time because uh, in our last episode, I, I talked with Cindy a little bit about what I was looking for in a device. And this is a personal device. This is a personal, you know, purchase. So, you know, obviously you have to set a budget. And I was willing to go a little bit more than what a typical Chromebook would go. So I set the budget at about $1,500. Uh, you can get Chromebooks easily, two, three, four, five hundred. I looked at a lot of Windows computers. Uh, again, you can buy them two, three, four hundred dollars. I looked at the mid-range, uh, and then the Surface Pro had come out. And since I'm such an avid digital ink user, that was the device that was just calling me. That's, so I I, I uh, bit the bullet and went out there and purchased the the new Surface Pro. They're not calling it the Surface Pro Five. It's just simply the Surface Pro. 
So I, I just did get it. So I'm, I'm just getting a feel for, for the capabilities. And I will be doing some screencast and sharing some things about why I think this is a great educational device for, um, you know, for sharing and teaching whatever subject area with the digital inking, the camera, the OneNote, the Office 365 integration. And, uh, you know, so far I'm very happy. And what's, I, didn't, I don't think I showed you this, but uh, the one thing that surprised me that really has me spoiled is it has the camera called Windows Hello. So you just simply turn it on and it's instant on. It, the camera recognizes your face with facial recognition, so you don't even have to type a password anymore. So I'm really enjoying that, and it's got me spoiled. So whenever I come up to my desktop, I'm looking at the camera expecting it to log me on, <laughs> and nothing happens. Kind of like the smart board. You get spo spoiled with the touchscreen smart boards, and you go to somebody else's classroom that doesn't have one, and you're constantly trying to touch, you know, to make things click. That's when you know you have a winning technology, when you go somewhere else and, and you miss it. So... Um, I'll be providing some some more screencasts and probably a lot more in depth about uh, some of the Surface Pro uh, features in the future. So, Brian, what do you have for your tech pick? Uh, it's a piece of software that we had mentioned that you can use for a bunch of different purposes that we just again talked about, but it's called Run Keeper, all one word. It's available for Android or for Mac phones, and it allows you to just track yourself and. Uh, produces a data set uh, on a map that's exportable f through a bunch of different ways and we just talked about how you could use it and it's uh, I think there's a free version of it and then there's a pay version when it's I forgot what it is but it's very very reasonable and it's not the only one available um, Nike puts one out and a bunch of other people put them out so you can play with those and find the one that works best for you but you do have to turn on your camera location um, well, you have to give it permissions. And the other thing I was going to mention was, uh, you know, when you're making photographs, you have the choice of GPS tagging them. And you can take that tag out later before you put them in social media or whatever. But that's, we talked about how you could use that additional data and geographic location for educational purposes. So just think about how you might use that in both uh, still and video. You can also tag some video with that for photography being here in, in central illinois and I, I i love going around the you know the different countryside and looking at old barns and things and that would be something that would be helpful to kind of have like a picture location you know where wherever you're taking and those barns are quickly you know disappearing they're 100 200 years old well i did that we did a little thing about infrared photography just this weekend i was at um new salem lincoln's new salem state park i believe it's called and did some infrared there, and then there's a cemetery, old cemetery there, Rose Hill Cemetery, I believe, and so when I put that up, I make sure I geotag that in case people say, hey, that's really cool looking, I wanna go try to make a photograph there mm -hmm. or something like that, and you can literally yeah. take that GPS data, put it into your um, GPS unit, and say, navigate me there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's kinda cool. Yeah, and again, kinda back to the digital citizenship and privacy concerns are leaving these digital footprints, and it's just something, you know, again, that I think that we need to make our students aware of to give them a choice. And, you know, the apps that typically do that, um, you will see whenever you install an app like RunKeeper, it's like, may I have permission to use your location? And, you know, it's your choice. And most of mine, a lot of mine are turned off. So when I turn them on, it says, do you want to turn this on to use this? And I'll say yes. So, yeah. Yep. Well, there you go. A couple of tech picks out there. So we'll talk to you next time.
that wraps it up for episode 202 of Tech Talk for Teachers. Show notes for this episode and archived episodes are available on the web at the EIU ITC website at eiu.edu slash ITC. To leave a comment or suggestion, please send an email to techtalk at eiu.edu or leave a comment on our Tech Talk for Teachers blog. Until next time, I'm Tom Grissom. I'm Brian Poulter. Keep Keep on on learning. learning.